Welcome to Crosstalk, the gospel for today and beyond. We are so glad you could join us today. The Crosstalk podcast is in pursuit of growing in our understanding of the gospel and discovering what it means to transfer to the next generation. And now, here are your hosts, Charles and Daniel. This is really good. I feel like we've really done a good overview of what the role is. Um, we really answered one of our questions. Yeah, as well. yeah. And in several of these questions I have written here, I'm like, oh man, we've kind of we've addressed these. Uh, maybe here's a question that comes to my mind because I'm 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 thinking from the the hearer standpoint right now. You know, they're listening to everything we're saying. You know, like, okay, I get that. Bible says that. But for me, as I'm looking and evaluating, what should I see? You, you see what I'm saying? What what should I be looking for in a pastor? Yeah. What should I be looking for in an elder? You know, who should be feeding my soul? Yeah. You know, and and I think that's good because now it, it helps apply it from a, a layman's standpoint of how to view that, you know. So how would we take these roles, the responsibilities of them, servant, mature, all the things you've said, and now we have to look for that? I would submit to you that one of the most important um, responsibilities that a, a sincere believer has is uh, from time to time, or at least once in their life, is wholeheartedly uh, endorsing or choosing, selecting who they will submit to as elders. Mm. And so there's a sort of a reciprocal relationship. There's, a, there's, there's this kind of thing where I say, Daniel, I trust you with my children. I think you rightly handle the word. I know that you're not a perfect human being because the position of perfection was occupied 2,000 years ago, and you're not it. <laughs> but I think, I think with my best judgment... I'm not going to doubt in the dark what I heard in the light. I think I can follow you as one of my elders. And I feel that way about the other one or two or three or four or five or six or whatever, as best as I know them. And I am going to voluntarily submit to this body of elders. And I think that's how we should choose a church. I know we don't always. We're we're fallen and we don't always have all the data. But then then it's our responsibility to make that work for the elders a joy, sort of like – Asking questions like you would a coach, you know, hey, how can I get better at my craft? How can I be? Right. A, how can I be discipled? And, and also knowing, um, not to doubt in the dark, what you heard in the light when you hit rough spots, because you will. That relationship is is serious. But I think they'll make mistakes. Yeah, my my hope and, and even my admonition to all of us is um, choose a church based on whether or not you think that they that would you trust your kids with those elders, and would you trust the kids in the Lord with those elders? Are those elders that I can follow? As they follow Christ, that's that's the real question. A lot of the questions we ask about programs and uh, facility layout and distance to drive and, and a lot of demographs and a lot of them are really secondary and they get us in trouble, get us in hot water. Um, but some of us have a problem just with submission in general. I don't mean in an Islam sense, meaning I submission. I mean submission like servanthood, right? And submission like yielding to someone that has been has been given this responsibility to shepherd your soul. Do you want to make that difficult? Hebrews says that's of no advantage to you. So I have a brother that says a lot that it's not submission when you agree. You're not identifying. That's not a problem. Yeah, you're not identifying your submission right. scale when you agree. I'm just doing what I want to do. It just happened. You just so happen to agree with me, right? You know. But if Charles is my elder, if he's my pastor. And, and surely he's not leading, he's not lording. I mean, First Peter five again. I right, keep going back. For it it right. says, it says don't, "Don't lord over them. Be examples or in samples to them. Be examples to them." In so far as he's being an example to me, and he's really grieving over this. If he comes to me with a not just a formative discipline, but a corrective discipline, listen, brother, I'm coming to you one on one in Matthew eighteen language. You know, I'm not, not bringing others in here. I really think you need to do it this way. Like I've observed this, and I really think you need to do it this way. I know no one likes that. And Hebrews twelve says it's kind of painful to be rebuked, but the Lord disciplines 
those he loves, and he disciplines them through his anointed servants, those that he set aside for certain roles for certain times. So if Charles is my elder, and he says that to me, you know, over a cup of coffee or a meal or a conversation in the hall, whatever, and he does it with the a right relationship way. that's already been developed, and, and I, he's yeah. my elder, he's my pastor. Yeah. I, I should I should take a hard swallow and I should say, Brother Charles, I'm going to test this against Scripture. I'm going to pray about this, but thank you for having the courage. And if I made it difficult for you to tell me that. That's on me. I'm going to do my best to think about what you said, and maybe we could interact about it later. If there's a culture in the church where that is the nature of the relationship, that that humility one to another and that desire to, to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, like Second Peter uh, 3.18 says, that to me that's a healthy church. Mm. That brings up another question that yeah. we uh, we talked about and we, we have already given you a chance to think about. Um, it has to do with the view of lay people of the pastoral role. I came up as a pastor in which people viewed the pastoral role as somebody you hired to do a certain thing, and deacons had to kind of keep an eye on this person to make sure that he did that and that he didn't run things because they run things, and uh, you get the idea. And you've probably seen some of that yourself, but tell me how you think your people view the pastoral role. Are they there, or have they developed to the point of moving more toward a biblical view of the pastoral role? And and if there are differences, how do you reconcile those? How do you work through that? Yeah, it's a good question, brother, and it's a hard question because it is a good question because it's it's where the tension is. Uh, so so I, let me let me try to try to answer it like this, and I'll just submit this to you, and then you guys can 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 kind of try to shave the edges off of it because I don't know how refined this is. Um, but I think there's a hope and there's a health, and so there's the hope. In the sense that you hope that the members and their um, chosen leaders, because I do, I'm a I'm a Baptist, and I, I do believe that the members choose their elders and so on. Obviously, the elders may be selecting the panel of prospective elders. There's a whole lot going on there. Right, but, some differing but, opinions in there. Yeah, yeah, perhaps. But I mean, I right. I'm, I love John the Baptist, and I believe Baptist. So so I am a Baptist. In you terms what of you is. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna deny that, or well, you, I'm not gonna sit here and find any not tell argument you here. where my biases come from or anything like that. If they're biases, but I, I think well, let me just let me just pivot there for a second. Does the Bible speak about church government? Does it speak about the the ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church? If your answer is yes, then it's in the realm of a revealed thing and not a secret thing, to right. use the Deuteronomy language. So then it's up to us to not sort of be willfully ignorant. We have to look at that, and we have to process that data. And we, you know, the safest place to be is in the will of God with a clear conscience. And so I think that's important. Now, that doesn't mean that we're necessarily going to all arrive at the same conclusions. But it does mean, and I recently saw this on display from some brothers I really respect, and I'll leave names off the table, but literally I saw a brother not take communion in a church he was visiting preaching in because they each had distinctions about ecclesiology by which they would uh, would affirm the salvation of one another and the faithful preaching of one another mm-hmm. and yet would part fellowship in terms of church membership. And so he, this brother did not take communion when it was served in this church. And I thought, what an example of right. believing in this and yet not not being uh, showing deference about it. And, yeah, and whatever, I was just yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. It, and instead of saying it's an issue of DF4, like it's just indifferent, it just doesn't matter. The Bible doesn't really say anything right, clear right. about that, which I think is a mistake. Um, but that was something to the actual question. Oh, your question was what? How? Your, your, you, the question was really in regards to how your church views this how do they role. View the, the role. The, Are there differences in how do you recognize Well, this those? is where I, why I went there. Um, I went there. I'm glad you reminded me. Because what is the role of a member in a church? In other words, are members 
also, uh, if you want to say it this way, decision makers in a in a members meeting, so called, the same right. as the as the elders, those that are called to be examples to them and to serve them as leaders, or are the elders a separate body themselves governing the church? Hopefully, with the will of the people, maybe against the will of the people, or differently, is there our elders connected with an associational group of elders mm-hmm. forming a, say, a presbytery? Which we see a lot of doing, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, but but the reason why I went ahead and put my personal uh, understandings of scripture and our collective and confessional understanding of of polity is because the answer to your question hinges on how you answer mm-hmm. that question. Uh, because because I don't know how. I don't know how I would answer the question if I were not, in this sense, having congregational ecclesiology, which you wouldn't have to be a Baptist to have congregational. The Savoy Declaration was filled with with Pado Baptists that right. that um, had congregational government. So in the in the 1600s, there's all kinds of discussion around this, and you know, it's, there's there's to be congregational is really the 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 turn point here. For me, as a congregational church leader, I understand that we are really in the decision-making game together. And while I carry a lot of influence, uh, I, I still just have one vote in a members meeting so-called for whatever uh, that very important thing is. And I mean, I know you can think about all kinds of horror stories about how I got down to voting on carpet. I assure you it's not like that in a healthy church. <laughs> or in um, your church, I would assume. I hope not. Um, yeah. But the, but when it comes to, to receiving and releasing members, that is, you're not supposed to fire your members from making those decisions because they're the ones yeah. they are supposed to chase them down to. Uh, when they're wayward and they're supposed to walk with them. I don't think it's just the the senior leader's job. They're examples of that kind of shepherding. They're not the only people doing the shepherding. Well, I feel like, you know, and we know you, and we've kind of walked through some of the changes that your church made over the years in regards to that issue of church polity, church governance. And I feel like from what I've watched from an outsider's perspective is you brought your people along. You know what I'm saying? Because they weren't always there. And so your point to the idea that you better know what you think about church governance, wherever that position may land, you know, we could be Presbyterian, we could be Baptist, you know, those type of things. If you don't know, then you won't know how to operate. And the scripture is clear about that. So what I've seen from you as a pastor is that you have clearly brought your people along, sought to teach them. Mm -hmm. Let's go through the word. Let's learn what this means. Now we're going to do it. And we, we do it together, you know. And so I think that's a testament to what you've done in your leadership, but it's also a testament now to your church because hopefully by God's grace they're grabbing a hold of this and we're doing it, you know, together, as you've said. And we're, we're, we're doing it because of the conviction that we hold. Right beliefs is not going to lead all the time to unity in the church. Uh, and, and we, you know, it's only God's kindness if there's any unity in the church. We're to eagerly pursue the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Um, so something that, that your dad said a little bit earlier here that I think is very important. There's an old model that I inherited. Uh, I didn't actually, didn't to clarify, I didn't actually have to, to personally lead any kind of change with regard to congregationalism. The congregationalism was the position of this particular church where I might have offered some teaching, some direction would be on Reformation theology mm-hmm. and, and doctrine doctrines that pertain to uh, a more um, a biblical and historical understanding of of uh, of doctrine with regard to the Reformation might be might be the way to say it, but congregationalism was is is kind of the assumed doctrine of churches up until uh, broader evangelicalism kind of became de facto uh, uh, Presbyterian in say the the latter third of the 20th century with regard to just this is really inefficient and we're tired of the members running all of the leaders and 
doing the one and dones and the in and outs and and so we're just going to put a stop to that we're going to fire our members and, and it's like martin luther said the trouble with a with a drunk man on a horse is if he falls off the horse on the one side and you set him back up they wind up he winds up falling off the horse on the other side right. i think we do that with polity and so i'm not afraid to talk about it i'm also not you know i'm not anathematizing my brothers disagree either i'm simply saying the answer to your question is correlated with your understanding of what the member's role is in the church and and that's the reason for that now, brother said earlier what happens when you had deacons serving as senior leaders to the neglect of lay elders and i think there's the problem right um and, and and not that lay elders can't be cruel but but i think when you have uh, a quote-unquote deacon board and you don't have lay elders you only have staff elders i think you set up kind of this tug of war Attention. Yeah, it's not us shepherding together. Turf war. Yeah, it's kind of a veto power. Uh, gut. The, the, the role of the deacon board is to uh, either fan into flame the vision of the entrepreneurial CEO pastor or it's to put a governor on him because he's we don't like what he's doing. And I don't think that that's uh, – I don't think it's biblical in the sense of the way the church is to be structured and I also don't think it's healthy. Uh, but certainly, you know, certainly not. doesn't mean because you get these things right you're unified. It's just to say that getting these things right is part of being faithful to Christ and asking for for His blessing on unifying us. Yeah, yeah. If I could push it, not against it, but but throw something in that for clarification. I mean, the the terminology in the New Testament speaks of the pastoral role as overseer um, and shepherd, and both of. I mean, they do lead, right? They do oversee. Um, so, in your experience, does that mean that there are times when you say, as your pastor, pastors, this is where we need to go? You, you see where I'm going with that? Because we don't want to omit this whole concept of rulership. You have to rule well. But you still rule. Yeah, so kind of the, the phrase that, that gets thrown around a lot in in uh, evangelical discussions uh, is elder-led, congregationally uh, governed, or is it elder-governed? You know, that's kind of the yeah, question. Is it elder-ruled? It's, a, it's a two yeah. different ways of looking yeah, at I that. I think elder-led, congregationally uh, ruled or governed is, is my understanding of synthesizing the biblical data and that's all I'm calling for. Attempt to synthesize the right. biblical data. That's that's right. all I'm saying here. Um, it, it, but but first first Corinthians five, uh, it's the whole church that's involved in that that rebuke for the the uh, wayward member uh, and putting them outside of the membership. And then the, in Second Corinthians four, we have somebody coming back into the, or Second Corinthians two four, we have somebody coming back into the fold. Some people think it's the same person. Right. Uh, some people don't. Matthew eighteen. You know, uh, ultimately, the culmination of a church discipline process, a corrective church discipline process, is, is the, the weighty tragedy of taking them before the church. Uh, you know, I, I don't think you'd take them before a church full of, of members that don't actually have any authority to decide whether or not this person is in or out. I think their authority is to receive and release members. That's that's my understanding there. So, uh, you know, you're piecing these things together. That's what that's what systematic theology does. But I think the doctrine of the church here puts us on the trail of members uh, having serious responsibility for the souls of their fellow members. And so the, the leaders of the church must lead, but they must lead as one fellow shepherd or an under-shepherd to those that are shepherding one another and understanding their role of receiving and releasing members as sort of the, the header and the footer when need be on 
uh, reconciliation and growing and deeper discipleship. To put it differently, we really are all in this together on paper and, and yeah. not just and, well, and I think we would understand that shepherds are sheep. Right. We need a shepherd as well. I mean, you don't not become a sheep because you become an elder. Yeah, because yeah, the Bible puts us all on a square footing on that regard. <laughs> well, and that's that's the, it's it's an uncomfortable tension, admittedly. Right. Like I, that, I you mean, have to work through it. If you make a strong often. line there, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. If you make a strong line between the elders of the church and the other member, the members of the church, then I think it's hard to answer your question about. It gets harder for me to answer a question like, then what is the role of the member? Well, be a good Christian. Well, what does that mean? Well, do what the elders tell you to do. You know, show up, contribute, be there. Um, you know, that, that's it. You're not, right. you're not involved in, quote, unquote, serious shepherding. That's what we do. I don't think that's the case. We're to be examples. Like, I mean, literally, I didn't get a chance, an opportunity to read this earlier, but he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So that's the local flock that you have. I don't think it's just Christians everywhere. We're talking about the, the local church in 1 Peter 5, not, not the universal church. He says, exercising oversight, to your point, but that's willingly and not under compulsion, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And then it, it turns around and sort of offers the the opposite of, of seeing over oversight in the sense of the tension when it says, not domineering over those in your charge. So knowing that's a pitfall, mm-hmm. like you could sure. be domineering people. You could be a strong man. And so not domineering over those in your charge, but you have charge over. So, so you see, you feel the tension in the text, but instead being examples to the flock, flock, sheep, shepherd, right? One of the metaphors in scripture. And when the chief shepherd, capital S appears, the the, the shepherd and overseer of our souls is chapter 2, verse 25 and 1 Peter says, when the chief shepherd shows up, I take that to mean the second coming, you'll get your, you'll get your crown of glory. I mean, you're, you're going to, you're going to get it. And, And it says, likewise, you who are younger, I take that to mean younger in the faith, be subject to the elders or submit to the elders. And then it starts talking about humility, how God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We generally read that as sort of a separate devotional thought. We don't connect that with this admonition and, and role relationship between the elders and the members of a church. But I think there's a reason to read this as connected more closely than what we think, especially when you look just before it when it says that judgment is to begin in the household of God at the end of chapter 4. What is the household of God? It's the church. Right. What's the flock? It's the church. So it's these metaphors. And then finally, just after it, it says that we should cast all our cares on the Lord because he cares for you. Well, one of the ways that he cares for us is through the elders of the church and their ministry, their word and prayer ministry to us. And and one more observation from the text, since you, you hired a preacher to do this podcast, <laughs> and the pay is lucrative, I tell you. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. Now, I don't know if you look at the role of elders in exalted position. In a sense, it's viewed as an exalted position. Right. You know, like if you go to a church, you want to know who's in charge. You're looking for the elders, right? You're right. looking for the elders. Who are the elders? It is well, possible. Who's the pastor? And I was talking to another kind of pastor about this in, yeah. earlier. I don't know if it's great interpretation or not. We can talk about it later. But it's curious to me that right here in the same little pericope of information, there's a danger that as he moves past the elders and into how you respond to your elders, be subject to them, maybe there is a danger of wanting to be exalted into that elder role aspirationally at an improper time. So at the Kairos time, at the pro- at the proper time, not the chronological time, but when God's timing is right in the fullness of time, if he wants to put you in that exalted position, he will. But it's not about positions. Go back mm-hmm. to Peter, James, and John coming off the Mount of Transfiguration and then wanting to be first. Yeah, You're Paul refers it. to that in, in just in the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 when he says he can't be a novice lest to be overtaken with pride 
and that's that's pretty much implied in that. I think you see it in any kind of a seminary community, a growing church that has a young population, college ministry, such. You will see a tendency uh, to want positional elevation, uh, maybe sooner than it's warranted. Whether the needs of a church warrant it, maybe you're not quite ready. And I think just you know the greatest among you will be a servant. You don't need the the title of shepherd. To be a shepherd, I think that's where uh, being fellow members and, and doing. Yeah, that. you can lead by influence. I heard my I heard my father-in-law, who's an elder of a church out in California, make the comment. He's like, "If you want, if you desire to be an elder, go do elder things." Bingo. And I was like, I was thinking about that. I was like, "Oh, okay." So meaning, it's not a position. He says, "Go do the things that elders do. You get opportunity to preach, go preach. Do you get opportunity stuff. to teach, go teach. Disciple, go disciple. Pray, pray. You know what I'm saying? Work on your own life. Make sure it's example before him. And I'm like, man, that is so spot well, your, on. Your, fa- your father-in-law, what a you know, what a wise bit of counsel. But I, for a time, I was confused. I thought that I should be sheepish about my desire to lead in the church. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. you know this guy. But then I, I was reading First Timothy three, and it's it's right there. It pops off the page. If anyone aspires to the mm-hmm. office of overseer, he desires a noble task. It's an aspirational office it's a noble task and so some astute listener is going to say huh gotcha there it says if anyone aspires to the office of overseer see there is no common title for leader in the new testament it's it's overseer here it's elder there well fair critique it's been levied okay but 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 if you but 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 if you go to first timothy chapter three it's okay to talk of it about the function right right so the office of overseer the overseer is a function a title more commonly called Elder, and I base that on going over to First Timothy chapter five and looking at the biblical data when it says in First Timothy five seventeen, just the same same little book. Let the elders rule well, be considered of worthy of double honor, especially those whose labor is preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, "You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and labor deserves its wages." Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all. I take to mean all the members and not just all the elders, and, and my understanding of that, so that they may stand in fear. And God looks over all of this. So there is a real tension there where you have elders, or they're overseeing, they're serving a ruling function in the church, but at the same time, the congregation is governing their affairs by um, receiving elders, receiving members. Uh, releasing members, um, quote, um, you might say voting members out. Right. Um, Discipline. Yeah. 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 So, you know, it's interesting that you bring up this whole concept. Of course, Dennis asked the question about ruling. You're talking about the the interaction of both lay elder pastor slash then member, lay mm-hmm. member. And it's interesting in our church, we're, we're more, or we are, uh, uh, elder rule versus you know, elder-led, and there's those two distinctions we've been kind of kicking out there. But, you know, it's so interesting. I've seen people leave our church in good standing and go mm-hmm. other places, and I've always seen our elder be very gracious. There was no mm-hmm. sin. There was no, you know, anything of that nature. And so that goes to show you the voluntary nature of what we do when we place ourselves under the authority of those elders, even in the different type of you know, nuance of how that works out. And I just think when you look at that, it's very important because, hey, if, you, if, if it's not that type of relationship, then it is a lording type of relationship where you're like, no, you can't leave. you got to stay here. You know, this is where you belong. And, I mean, people can leave whenever they want. You know, it, it is what it is. But I do think that understanding and that humility mm-hmm. and how you interact is important. Yeah. Um, and you see that played out even in our own church here at Westwood, you know, mm-hmm. and, and how that goes forward. 
Um, I know. We, I hear the clock ticking. It is ticking. It yeah. is ticking. We're uh, running right out of bounds. You got a got a place you want to get us? Yeah. To. Well, th- I think the last question is is it really helps us get kind of practical as we look at roles. And one of our motivations, mm-hmm. the impetus for doing this, is our culture is just bucking against roles. Mm-hmm. You know, biblical roles, man, woman. You know. Mm-hmm. How do we function? I'm going to simplify this question that we have here. Mm-hmm. How do we continue to function in a culture where a role like a pastor, mm-hmm. elder, you know, however you, you call it, mm-hmm. how do we function in a culture that's totally anti, it's antithetical to our roles? Yeah. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to answer that question by following up on your previous statement. Um, Gregory Wills, Dr. Wills, um, Professor of Church History at a few seminaries now, uh, did a deep dive into the members' meeting minutes of uh, churches in the antebellum South, post-Civil War South. They disciplined somewhere in the neighborhood of 2% of their membership per year. It would be about 1 in 50 that would just they would just go wayward. And um, they didn't just let people leave. If people moved from Atlanta to Charleston, they followed up. And uh, there was interaction amongst churches. Now, it's not to say that people didn't move, people shouldn't transfer, and that there aren't really legitimate reasons for people going to other churches. Uh, and I'm not—I wouldn't hang this on your elders. I don't think. Yeah, yeah. I think I they would. There'd be two sides yeah. to this. I think they'd defend themselves very well with this. They're gracious in legitimate departures. Right. I feel called to this ministry. I'm, you know, this. this I'm live closer to this church. I, this serves me better. I want to be open-handed. But there, there are bad reasons for leaving a church. Yeah. And so, authority has to mean something. It has yeah. to mean something. Well, and, and so I've seen just, the opposite to your yeah. point, where they said, "No, we don't think so," and here's why. But you know, they did it anyway, and you to, see the result. To answer your question, um, you, you know, that what what are some bad reasons for um, a church member leaving a church for another church? Um, I, I guess irreconcilable differences could be a reason, but the unwillingness to reconcile differences at all right. is probably a sign of of a need to grow. I'm just trying to think of reasons, bad reasons to leave. Um, I, I, you know, because you want programs versus preaching. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, the, or differently, um, this this church has a program uh, that I really want to be a part right. of, and your church doesn't. You know, my right. current church doesn't. I, th- that really loses the concept of covenant membership and and what binds us together. Right. So I'm not advocating at all that programs are bad in every way, or but 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 we need to be careful that we're not consumers. And it gets to your question about. Um, the culture of the church. Yeah, that's, no, why that's why I'm kind of leaning no, into sense. this. Yep. Is, is saying what are bad reasons? I think your your listeners should ask themselves like, what would be a bad reason for me to leave? You, on the one hand, you may be uh, too reticent to leave a church that you really need to leave for for really really good reasons, and you may. Um, but on the other hand, you may have you may have a proneness to switch churches, uh, even if it's not all the time, just on occasion. For reasons of bumping up against a ceiling of discipleship, I don't want to go any further. Mm. Uh, because wherever you go, there you are, and and you, you'll have that honeymoon period. Um, it's kind of like serial monogamy, you know. <laughs> Ask anybody that's been married five times. Like you'll have that honeymoon period, and then all of a sudden, wherever you go, there you are. Yeah. And eventually, you have to break through. Eventually, you have to break through in those relationships and mature, uh, or you're just the same person over and over and over again. And so I think membership has some level by analogy there with. Uh, regard to just not switching and switching and switching. So your your question though is, I think, in a culture that is deviating from understanding the role of a pastor, mm. how do we function? And I actually think that we become more serious about the doctrine of membership and not less. Mm. That's my answer. Uh, it's so harder. You're addressing the purity of the church now. I am. I think that it's our our job to pursue a, a pure or a professing 
uh, church membership. Our church membership should have a credible gospel profession of faith. Um, and if they don't, they shouldn't be members. I think that's important. And it's not not to be judgmental in an unwieldy sense. It's just to wield the keys of authority that the Lord has given us. The church has some very simple things to do, but that doesn't mean they're easy to do. Very simple. You only let in believers. So we need clarity. Yeah. Only let in believers. Clearly. Believers come into the role. Okay. And then the keys the church, the church has authority over baptism and the Lord's Supper. So you fence the table. You know, I used an illustration earlier about fencing the Lord's right. table, and you only administer baptism to willing subjects mm-hmm. or worthy subjects. Yeah. And worthiness is People defined by believers. a credible profession yeah, yeah, of faith. Yeah. Yeah. Can they can they explain the gospel? And do they can they tell you how the gospel has impacted their lives in a meaningful right. way? And so that really gets down to it. Um, uh, in the Reformation, all Protestant churches had to define what it meant to be a church. Right. And uh, the early confessions indicated that you need to have faithful preaching. You'd have faithful administration of sacraments, Lord's Supper and baptism, and faithful administration of church discipline. So those are things that are critical. And so I, you ask me, how do we function, and is it hard? Well, I mean, it's hard, but but it, we, in order to be, if we're going to ask for the Lord to bless our work, we really need to wrestle with those really simple yet hard things with regard to uh, giving and receiving members and faithfully administering sacraments. The churches that are doing that, again, this is not a universal rule. But churches that I know of that are doing this, where they're being clear, okay, just for very basic, they're being clear. They're thriving. Now, they may not be 1,000-member churches. They might be 100-member churches, 50-member, you know, people, amount of people. So I think to your point, there's where the thriving's happening. You know, people are growing and, and, and doing as – they're doing the church things, if I could just use that phrase. But, you know, they're, they're really being effective. And what God has called him to do, to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, you know? And so I think your comment there that in a culture where we are not clear about most anything, (laughs) we need to be clear in a church. And that will help us be distinguished and and know what we should be doing. I've never met a good father that was celebrated for um, being known for just being his kid's buddy. That was my buddy. <laughs> right, right. No, no, I mean, I have a healthy fear of my dad. Right. And not because he's abusive. By the way, I'm not, not whitewashing any abuse. Shouldn't. And, no. And don't want to do that. Um, but but there, there is, a, I think it's one one thinker said that authority is a is a good and dangerous gift. It's a mm. good and it's a dangerous gift. So we have to think, we have to think about these things in Genesis 3, Fallen World. It was not dangerous until sin entered the world. But now we, we have these spheres. We have these roles to use the language you're using in these in these podcast episodes and we we have these roles and so that that signifies authority whether yeah. that's a parent or a pastor or or, or government uh, yeah, or whatever politician whatever yeah. you know use alliteration there that's what we preachers do parent pastor politician. <laughs> and this uh, is why roles are so important biblically defined roles are so for the church we don't expect the world to understand um we have to be willing to stand on the word of god in these things knowing that opposition will come, and in fact, not just opposition, but persecution may come. And that's when we need this clarity that we talked about, and we need the body, and we need strong, godly pastoral leadership, you know, more than ever. Yeah, not less of it, more of it, yeah. So I think a healthy church is one that that seeks not to break the backs of a congregation, but seeks to deepen an understanding of all doctrines, including the doctrine of the church, which is really what we're talking about mm-hmm. here. All doctrines, though, not just that one, all the great systematic doctrines, uh, doctrine of uh, redemption, accomplished, and applied, yep. 
theology proper and, and, and even the doctrine of last things, we should consider these things. And then, well, we can. We should be as specific as we can about applications and be, be open-handed with that. And I think that makes a church more healthy. And I, I think healthy is what we're striving for. We're not right. just striving for size. Not perfect. Uh, I mean, no. I mean, you can be a much, much bigger person, but it doesn't mean you're a stronger person, right? Some mm. of the strongest people are light or weighted, um, things like that. So I think I think we need to count the way the Lord counts. And very often it's addition by subtraction. You know, John 6, um, you all going to leave me too? <laughs> and then the church does grow uh, yeah. at times too. So it's not, it's not size is just not a good metric. I'm not saying big is bad and small is good or we should be prickly. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying size is not the best metric for health. A fear of man is a real problem. And so we need to seek God's word in community and then take little steps at a time to try to be faithful to God's word. And I think God blesses that no matter what the culture is screaming. Yeah. So as we kind of close things out here, because I think even among some of these questions we didn't um, address, we we addressed them. We talked through them, through the biblical aspects of, of, of each one. And so I would just say for our listeners, what are some resources that you would recommend just off the top of your head? You know, some things because they're like, oh, my gosh, I've just heard a bunch of stuff and I've, i got to process mm-hmm. this. Where yeah. could they go for further study? to really dive in and to really kind of develop this theological perspective of this particular role and, as you said, just church polity in, in general. Yeah. Um, well, I'm not trying to be cliche, but the Bible. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's well, I mean, absolutely. You know, do you have, uh, Read Acts, right? I'll make this very simple. As a pastor, one of my, my most necessary questions to ask myself and to ask my fellow elders and to ask the, my fellow members is, and they ask me, you know, how's your time with the Lord? Are you reading through the Bible in a year or two mm. years, three years? Do you, are you checking the list? Are you getting the, the panoramic view of the Bible? Do you, do you write anything down about the Bible? Do you, do you try to apply it to your life? What's the Lord been teaching you lately? You know, these are the kind of conversations we've been having in the hallway more than who won the football game. Like, we should be asking these questions. Not the football game is something you can't talk about, but, like, what's the Lord teaching me? If you get that going, then you'll 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 sort of have a, a – a, you'll start to develop readership in your church. I mean, I could list 50 books, like – you know, I'm staring at a library right now. It's got some of them on it. I, mean, I could list right. some books, but I don't know how helpful it would be uh, because the, the situation could call for a different flavor. Mm. And uh, I certainly wouldn't want to, you know, I wouldn't want to give the wrong prescription. But just read the Bible. Don't be afraid of what the Bible says. When you have have difficult questions, you know, bracket them until you can get better answers or until you can ask the Lord if it matters when you're in heaven. And just get about the business of growing. And just don't be scared of the those that have been given and granted authority by God through God-given roles. Don't be scared of those people in your lives. Uh, authority misused means authority misused, but it doesn't make authority bad. A mm-hmm. restaurant that gives you food poisoning means that restaurant has a problem. It doesn't mean all restaurants are bad. Right. Yeah, and so I, I think that, so what they could read, I think, is just their Bible, particularly some of the texts we've said here today is, is 1 Peter 5 and Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5 and 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. Be some great passages to go read. 1 Timothy 5 is really helpful, too, because you get that elder nomenclature and start to think about these things and maybe push back. Maybe we've said some things here you you don't agree with. So, so gird up your loins and study and think. Right. And, uh, yeah, and any good systematic theology is going to put you on the trail of some of these things, too. Yep, yeah. absolutely. Well, well, gentlemen, this has been a good discussion, and I knew this is how it would go. <laughs> you knew it, eh? We've all been restraining ourselves. Brother right. Charles, I don't know how he talks so little, but he did, yeah. <laughs> well, and Matt, just thank you for joining us. Thank you for 
just doing kind of a rapid fire, just kind of going through things and, and dissecting our questions even. I love it. I love it. This is People don't understand this. When we get together, the very few times we do get to get together and have lunch or coffee or whatever, this is exactly what happens. So we're just doing what we do on the podcast, really. We actually tried to abbreviate it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, uh, but brother, appreciate your time. And um, hopefully, by God's grace, um, the listeners will be encouraged and uplifted in their faith as they seek to follow him. So thank you very thank much. You well, thanks for, thanks for joining us today. We look forward to, to talking with you next week and uh, hope to join us then. Have a good week. Thanks everyone so much for joining us today. You can always visit us on the web at crosstalkpodcast.org. Crosstalk is produced by Vision for Living Ministries, a nonprofit organization. This podcast is a free resource but you can support us financially through our website. For more information on Vision for Living Ministries, visit our website at visionforliving.org, where you will find more great resources. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Vision for Living or on Twitter, at V4L. We also love to hear from our listeners. You can email us anytime at info at visionforliving.org. Be sure to join us next week on Crosstalk, the gospel for today and beyond.